Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Rob Perry. I'm the site pastor here at our Durant campus. And I'm glad to be here as we wrap up the series we've been in called Believable. We've been looking at the validity of some statements. And so I want to kind of get you warmed up because you've had a week off. So I want to throw out some statements to you and you tell me if they're true or false. First one being, if you go out into the cold with wet hair, you'll get sick. Well, yeah, some of you are saying he's not even qualified to answer that question, right? <laughs> it is false. Scientists have actually put viruses in people's noses and then set the conditions on one group uh, for wet and cold, and it made no difference. How about this one? Um, if you touch a toad, you'll get warts. People laugh, yeah. Well, I loved catching toads as a kid, toads and frogs. My brother and I would go down to the brook. I actually believe this and caught toads and frogs for years and then broke out with warts on my hand one year and I got so scared of what I was gonna look like because I believed that was true. Some of these things, some of the statements that are out there, they sound so believable, so true uh, when they aren't. And we've been looking over the past few weeks at matters of faith, some statements that surround that. Statements like, this thing's outdated, that there is no absolute truth, or that God just wants you to be happy. Things that sound true, but really aren't. And so today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at another believable statement. And as I started to prepare for this specific statement, it reminded me of a little hike that I took with my family one summer. We camped all summer long out in Cape Cod, and it was common for us to kind of go on hikes out our little backyard there. There's lots of scrub pines, and we would go for a walk. Well, this particular walk or hike seemed like it was taking a little bit longer, and we took a few extra twists and turns that the kids started to get a little panicky got real panicked when I saw my dad climb a tree and started to look. And then one of us, I forgot whether it was me or my brother, said, we're lost, aren't we? It was that turn way back there. We're doomed. We're never going to get out of here. That little answer reminded me of how we treat God's will for our life. We treat it like God has a blueprint for our life. And that's the statement that we're looking at this week. God has a blueprint for my life. That God has a specific friend for you, a specific school that you're supposed to go to, a specific college, a specific spouse, a specific place for retirement, and a specific thing every step of the way. And that you must find it or else you are doomed. That you've missed God's plan and will for your life, and that you're going to have to settle for something far less. And so we go looking for this, and we live in fear of not getting or choosing the right thing. Some of you can relate. There may be some of you in here, high school, where you've been accepted to a lot of colleges already, and for the first time in your life, you've had answers to every question that's been thrown at you, but this is the time where you don't have an answer. 
you are scared because you want to know which one of those colleges is the college God has for you. Maybe you're dating and you've been dating this person for a little while and you're wondering or you're ready to make the lifelong commitment and you want to propose, but is this God's girl for you? And you're fretting over that. Maybe you're making a career change. You have lots of options before you with salary and location and you just can't make a decision because you're so scared about making the wrong decision and missing God's will for your life. Some of you can relate to what I'm saying and you're, you're all about finding that one particular thing that God has and you don't want to miss it because you will have missed God's will for your life some of you feel that you have, you missed that opportunity and now you're settling for a plan C, D, E, that God's not in that. And what ends up happening for us is we live one of two ways. We get paralyzed by fear of making the wrong decision that we do nothing or we live in despair over decisions that we've made and think that God can't handle and get us, get our way through that. You see, I believe that Christ followers do feel that God's will is important and that they want to follow it. But I think we struggle because our understanding of God's will is incomplete or perhaps incorrect. And hopefully today when you leave, we will have talked about things that help you better discern God's will for your life because we devise a whole lot of schemes to try to figure it out. I mean, some of us pray, give me a sign, Lord. And then we start looking on the ground for things, you know? Or you look in the sky, hey, there's a cloud. It's shaped like Texas. That's where the job is. I think I'll go there. We do a lot of strange things, but we do it because we want to follow God's will for our life. We want to do the right thing. But we end up treating God's will like, this is going to date me. Remember the magic eight ball? You're like, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, and then he's going to give his answer that way. But where do we get that? I mean, where do we get that view? Is that the way that people in here sought God's will? We're going to look at that today. And I want you to have a Bible as we do that. So ushers, if you will come down, if you don't have a Bible, they will give you one. It's yours to keep or you can return it uh, in the back on the way out. We all want something like this. I mean, you don't have to go far. Just go to the first book in the Bible. Go to Genesis. We want God to do what he did to uh, Abraham. Abram, when we read it in here, but we know that his name was changed. Abraham, look at Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Don't we want this? Wouldn't it be easy if we had a divine speech like this that God came and just spoke right at you and said, I will, I will, I will. 
That's what we want. We want to be able to say, I, Lord, I want this. I, want a, I need a parking space. Bam, you got it. I need a job. Your phone rings and it's an offer. We live, many of us live as if God's will for us is like a blueprint that there is only one and only one specific thing that he has for us. And if we don't find it, we are going to fail. I want you to please stick with me because there may be some tension around this whole notion of God's will and plan for our life. I think when we say it's a blueprint, I think we are putting God in a box that we are limiting God to the things that we can wrap our head around. I mean, think about how a blueprint works. If you're in this industry, a blueprint is very detailed. It's specific. There are notes. And if you know how to read a blueprint, any builder can go and take and follow those directions and recreate what the architect wants. So play that out with our life. Play that out, perhaps for you, it's a soulmate. I mean, it's romantic to think, right? That God has that one person for you and that you're going to bump into him and you know, right? But how does the soulmate idea work with free will? What happens if somebody chooses and they're being rebellious and they marry the wrong person? What if Tim marries the wrong girl? Now, go with me, now the, girl, the guy that was supposed to marry the girl that Tim married is stuck. This is going to start to ripple. We're going to have a marriage crisis and chaos here. And then Tim married the wrong person and the guy that was supposed to marry the girl can't so there's this marriage pandemic thing going on. How about, how about um, a house? Because this happens a lot. I'm praying for this specific house. But what if there's somebody who's not praying? They don't even, they're not involving God in the decision for a house. You're praying for this specific house. Somebody goes and buys your house. Now you have to live in a house that's not meant for you. And that person is living in a house that's meant for somebody else. Do you see how the blueprint idea starts to fall apart? I don't want a blueprint. I want something much bigger. I want to know that God is big enough to take into account human decisions and actions even when there's a misstep. I want something much better. I can assure you that though it may feel elusive at times, that God wants to reveal his will to you more than many of us want to know it. And so we're going to look today at what is, let's look at God's will and understand it better. So if you're taking notes, grab a pen in your seat pocket. Let's talk about God's will. There are three categories for God's will. The first being this, the providential will of God. The providential will of God is what God is going to do no matter what. You don't have to worry about it. 
You don't have to pray about it. These are things God's providential will, he's going to do. Period. Take, for instance, Genesis 12, where he looked, where God, it was God's providential will that he raised up Abraham, who would lead the Israel nation to then have the Messiah come out of the nation of Israel. That was God's providential will. Paul reminds us in Galatians 4, it was God's providential will that the Messiah, Jesus, come at just the right time to come and die for our sins. Providential will of God, it is happening. And it is God's providential will when we read Revelation 20 or when Jesus said, I am going to come back. It's God's providential will that Jesus will return and we will stand before him. It's going to happen. It doesn't, God will, this is the the odd thing because he does include us in his providential will, but he doesn't need our obedience and these other things. It's going to happen. The next one, next category is the moral will of God. We know these. They're the do's and the don'ts that we read in scripture. It's what God has already written down for us. It takes the guesswork out of life because so much has been written down for us. How many of you are doing taxes right now? Huh, yeah, don't bring it up, Rob. <laughs> I got another month. But look at that. IRS taking out a lot of taxes? Probably. But you don't have to pray, Lord, should I report this extra income? He says, do not lie or cheat. The moral will lays it out. God wants us to be holy. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, especially around the uh, sexual purity. God wants us to have sex in marriage, not outside of marriage. And so you don't have to pray, should I or shouldn't I? You don't have to email me and say, can we have lunch I want to see what you think about in my dating relationship if we should have sex outside of marriage. I would enjoy the free meal, but you don't have to. God has already said that. It's his moral will. And there's many spots. Honor your father and mother. Be connected to a church body where they will worship me. Show love to others. Those are the moral will of God where God has spoken. So we have the moral will of God, the providential will of God, that God's going to do what God's going to do. And you're like, yes, but how about me? How about my life? That's, that's what concerns me. That's called the personal will of God. And this is where we usually have our questions. What school should I go to? What job should I take? Where should I retire We all have a lot of questions and we want to know the right answers because we want to do what God wants us to do so that we can have a perfect life. But here's the problem. Most people jump in at the personal will of God. It doesn't work that way though. We have to know the providential will of God and the moral will of God and he will reveal the personal will of God. But we end up skipping that, wanting that. But here's the wisdom of God. Here's how 
He says it. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You see, we say, God, show me what one of those things it is. And he's saying, no, trust me, not just my answers. Trust me. Look at me. With all of your heart. What's that mean? It means being able to say, God, I want what you want even before I know what that step is. What you want, God, I want. Not just in the big decisions, but all decisions. And he says, I will show you the way. He promises to guide us. You see, the providential will of God and the moral will of God will lead me to the understanding of the pers God's personal will for my life. The more we understand what God has done, what he's going to do, what he said we are to do, and the more we surrender and trust to that, the better we will be able to discern God's will for our life. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence for today. It's this. God's ways and God's word will lead me to God's will. You see, God's will isn't a blueprint where we fear that we're making the wrong decision. We're going to end up with the 28th best uh, situation. God has a plan that takes into account human interaction, human acts. And that ought to give us hope. It ought to help us relieve fears to know that as we trust him, as we surrender to him, and we put our faith in action, that he will guide us into the right spot. And, and if we do that in a way that honors him. So how do we put our faith in action in the middle of this? What's that look like? I want to spend a few moments doing that. First thing. The way to do that, put your faith in action, is read the right stuff. We spent week two looking at this. This is outdated. And we found out it has proven the test of time that what is in here is reliable. This shows us the providential will of God, the moral will of God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, this it says, your word is a lamp, a guide unto my feet. It will show us. It's part of the way of showing us where to go. And it's why groups are so important, specifically grow groups, because you are going to get around God's word. You are going to bring your life and you're going to come together around others and try to put your faith into action through the lens of his word. If you're not in one, go to findmygroup.com. Look for a grow group that's near you or works with the time in your schedule. The next thing is ask the right people. Another way to say that is what do godly people say? Because God's wisdom says plans go wrong for the lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Do you have people around you that you can go to and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, this, and this. And they are completely comfortable in saying, are you an idiot? Why are you doing that? 
and they will speak truth into your life. And there's nothing for them to gain. Pick people who have nothing to lose. Pick people that are where you want to be. If it's career or school or relationships, look for godly people who are where you want to be and go and talk to them. The qualifier is important. Godly people. Why? Because godly people will affirm God's will, not oppose God's will. Ask the right people. Who are the people, wise, godly people around you? But ask them the right questions. We all have questions. I want to hit a couple of the biggies that I hear often. People will come and ask me or uh, other pastors, how do I know if God wants me to marry him or her? And I wish, I mean, it, it sounds, sounds, I mean, it's logical, but I need you to understand of how that question is often asked. It's with such a panic and with such fear, like, I just need to know whether this is my God's girl or God's guy for me, my soulmate. I mean, it's that kind of desperation that they come with this question. I think there's a better question to ask. They're dating or perhaps they're beginning to date. The question is, how am I dating? How, how does God want me to date is the better question to ask. Because he's laid that out for us. So why don't we follow that and out of that see the person that God surfaces for us? I mean, dating, God wants you to be pure. Many people get that out of, out of whack and then they end up throwing the relationship into confusion. But God's laid this out, purity. How about um, love? He's laid out what godly and Christ-like love is. So are you modeling that yourself? Do you see the fruit of that kind of love in your relationship? How about the person you're in a relationship with? Do you see that in them? If not, those are flags. Start to work through those. Big question. I talked to my kids about their friends, girlfriend or boyfriend. I got a daughter and a, a son. I always say, do they love Jesus? Because God's made that clear. If you're a Christ follower, then you are to be in a relationship with, especially the one you're going to marry, a Christ follower. He's laid that out. And the bottom line is if we're not going to listen to God's moral will for our life, then it's going to be hard to discern what his personal will for our life is. The better question here is, how does God want me to date? Another question people ask is, which house, we're buying a house, which house, this one, this one, or this one? How about the question of which one can you afford? God's wisdom says that the, the one who borrows is going to be a slave to the lender. So which house puts you in a better position to live within your means? That's the question you have to ask. Which job should I take? The better question is, which job is going to allow you to be the spouse, the parent, 
or the friend that you need to be? Which job is going to allow you to have a presence in your family's life, in your spouse's life, or in your dear friend's life? That's the question. The other one, which, my company's telling me to go here. Should I live there? It's not where you live. It's how you live. Because you, you're a mission for God as a Christ follower wherever you go. Turn that question into how am I to live? How am I living? You see, we ask questions perhaps that the world's asking. We're called to ask different questions. Paul was speaking to some new followers of Christ and he was teaching them how to discern God's will for them. Listen to what he says in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is a promise in here that we can recognize God's will for our life. He's not trying to hide it. As he's transforming us, we will be able to see what he's doing and we'll be able to make better decisions. God's not about hiding his will for our life. Look, with our greatest need that we had, have, and that is for the forgiveness of our sins, God fully, fully revealed that in Jesus Christ. He sent them here saying, you need a savior. I'm sending one and it's a gift from me to you. Do you accept that? He's not hiding that. So what makes us think that he's with our greatest need, if he didn't, if he didn't hide that from us, why is he going to go hide all this other stuff? He's not. He wants to reveal his will more than we most times want to know what it is. And for some of you, when we say God's ways, that means for you today, we talk about being connected with God. You don't have a relationship with him. It intrigues you, but you know you've never accepted that gift. Today, that's why we talk about come down front. Talk about what that actually means, accepting that gift. Consider taking that starting point class that we've talked about for a couple weeks, and you'll see in a video in just a little bit. That's a next step for you. Does God have a blueprint for me? No. He has something much better. And instead of being paralyzed by fear of making the wrong decision and thinking God will not be able to work in that, or instead of sitting in despair over decisions that you made thinking that you, you've missed God in his will, begin to trust God, that he is in control, that his plan takes into account human interaction and all of our decisions, and begin to trust him and let him transform you into the new person that you can be through Jesus Christ, and begin with all that you got to follow his ways, his word, as he leads you for his will for your life. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you that we do not have to lead ourselves, that you've gotten that figured out, 
Lord, so often we are all about finding what you have for us. But you want us, it's not about finding, it's about becoming the child of God that we were meant to be. May we focus on not finding, but becoming more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your leadership in our lives. And we commit all our ways to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.